doesn't matter how you start. You may have people in your family right now who, you know, they're not in church. They don't know the Lord. Listen, don't give up on them. Amen. amen. Because if Jesus died for you, guess what? He died for them, too. Amen. amen. And so any, we, we know that that when Jesus died, that what he did was a finished work. In fact, the Bible says it like this. It says that one of the last things he said was it is finished. And when he said it is finished, there's power in those words. Amen. Because he didn't say it is finished as though, okay, I'm done. I can't take no more. He said it's finished as in all right. It's already done for you. And for that, we can always give Jesus praise. Amen. We can always honor his name. And so today uh, we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's been over 2000 years ago. But how many know the blood is still just as strong? Amen. The blood. I love the song that we sung this this morning when it said the blood never loses its power. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and, and we were just talking about how, you know, they were saying that, you know, you read all this research about how many people are leaving the church, but how many know there are people being born again every single day? Yes. Amen. Come on, somebody. There are people being born again every single day. The blood of Jesus has not been diminished. In fact, the Bible says it like this. It says that you and I were born of an incorruptible seed. In other words, it says the power that got you saved is the power that keeps you saved. Yes. Amen. That it's not by your works. It's not by how good you are, but it's by the blood of Jesus. And what he did was a finished work. And that is the reason that we can see each other in our imperfections and still know that Jesus is all right. Because we know that what Jesus did for us solidified for us that you and I no longer have to be bound by the enemy. Amen. And so uh, this morning I want to begin uh, with, with something that we sometimes read during uh, the Christmas season. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You know, sometimes we have the screens up, and so you don't have to get your Bibles out. But this is a Bible morning. Amen. You got to get your Bible out, your cell phone out. There's a few scriptures we'll go to. Most of them I'll give to you. You can write down and you can read it. But I want you to see something in Luke chapter 2. I want you to have an understanding of how awesome God is. Say this after me. Say, God, God loves, me. loves me. He does. God loves you. Tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, neighbor. God, God loves, you. loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Not just because it's Easter. He loves you. And Easter represents the depth of that love for you. Amen. The Bible says it's not a big deal for a man to die for someone who's good or for someone who's kind or for someone who's a friend. It says, but it takes a special kind of person to die for someone who would then turn around and reject you. Amen. Amen. And I don't know about you. And you say, well, you know, Pastor, I never I never rejected Jesus. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. If he's ever spoken to you and told you to do something and he didn't sit right with what you wanted to do and you did it anyway, you rejected him. Amen. But tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, he loved you anyway. And that's really what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about the love of Jesus. It's about the fact that God loves you so much that in spite of all the things he knew you could mess up on, he still went to the cross and died for you. So the Bible says in Luke chapter two, verse eight. Luke chapter two, verse eight, it says in there and we read this sometimes during during the during during the Christmas season. But I want you to pay attention to the last part we'll read. It says and there were it says and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse nine says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. Verse 10 says, and the angel said unto them, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and he shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But notice verse 13 and verse 14. It says, And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, and notice what they were saying. It says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, good will toward who? Men. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. God, God is not, is not mad, mad anymore. anymore. Amen. Amen. There's a theology out there that tells us that God is angry, that God is waiting to, to push some magical button. You know, like you see those commercials, the easy button, that God's waiting to push the easy button to send us all to hell. How many know he never would have sent Jesus to save us if the intention was for us to end up in hell? Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. the easiest thing, the easiest thing to, do to do in this world is to accept Jesus. Because the work's already been done. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to get whipped for your sins. You don't have to get beat for what you did wrong. And some of you think, well, oh, pastor, I was so good. It don't matter how good you were, you were born into sin. Amen. Now, some of us like me can praise a little harder because we'd have got a real good whooping. Yeah. <laughs> some of y'all like me, y'all didn't grow up so good. How would you know you didn't either? <laughs> but see, but, but for those of us who, who have been bad, we are so grateful that Jesus died for us. Amen? Because that means all we have to do is to accept him. Amen. Isn't it interesting when you begin to think about religion and theology that the greatest, most powerful founders of all the modern religions that you can go and actually find their ashes or their remains still in the tomb. Mm -hmm. You ever think about that? You can go find Buddha's ashes. Heidi Krishna's buried in a particular place. But how many know if you were to find the tomb of our Lord and Savior, it'd be empty. Amen. That is the difference between us and them. Our Savior got up on the third day. He rose, and because he rose, you and I have the opportunity to live a life of power, purpose, and destiny. Amen? I wish I had some folk in here this morning who was excited about the resurrection. Understand, Jesus Christ's tomb is empty. The, 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 when, when, the, when the women and the disciples went to find Jesus, the Bible tells us that they went early in the morning because they were going to put spices on his body. But when they got there, the Bible says the tomb had been, the stone had been rolled away. Now, now watch this. If Jesus can make you a promise that if you kill him three days again, he'll raise up. Then when he tells you that he's going to get you out of debt, when he tells you he's going to heal your body, when he tells you he's going to save your baby, when he tells you he's going to heal your mother, when he tells you he's going to restore the relationship, somebody ought to be expecting that problem to roll away. Why? Because Jesus makes a promise that he can keep. Understand, the Bible says if the devil had known what he was doing, he never would have crucified our Savior. Because you understand that when Jesus was on the earth, there were certain things, not that he was limited by, because he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So when Jesus was in a place, he was in that place. But what the devil did by crucifying him is allowed him to go back to the Father and send a representative of himself to be with each and every one of us everywhere we go. Yes. 
So the Bible says, had he known what he was doing, he never would have crucified our Lord. And there are many times that people like to focus on the crucifixion of Christ and they and they stay there. They stay there with the pain and the suffering. And how many know you some of you seen the passion of Christ? You've seen that movie before. And it's horrific when we watch it and we see what they did to our Lord and Savior. But we can't be stuck in what happened to the crucifixion. We got to be focused on the resurrection. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there may have been some promises that have died in your life. Say, but today is a resurrection day. Yes, sir. Today is a resurrection day. Today is a day for you to realize that just like Jesus got up, there are problems in your life, that has, the promises in your life that have seemed to have died, but now today is a resurrection day. It's a day to exercise your faith. It's a day for you to say, if Jesus got up, then my promise can get up. It's if Jesus died for my sins, then I know that I have a way to succeed. Amen? So this morning, I want to talk to you about this, this, this short subject, because I know many of us have plans after church, and I don't want to keep you all day. But I want to talk to you about how the resurrection has changed everything. Take your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. everything, everything. changed change. after the resurrection. The resurrection did so many things. It changed so many things in so many ways. And when you begin to think about how this resurrection came to be, you can't help but to go back and think about Jesus when he was here on earth with his 12, with his 12 disciples. There were a group of 12 men who comprised of fishermen and tax collectors and farmers. And, and now if you think about it, they started off from 12 men to now research says that one in every three persons on the planet claim Christianity as their religion. After the resurrection, Christianity exploded. And contrary to what people say, it hasn't stopped since. The answer is this. The resurrection changed everything. It split A.D. to B.C. No other event in history has ever been as impactful as the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not the birth of your children, not your job promotion, not, 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 not the most amazing thing you've ever think happened in your life. The most important thing to ever hit this earth was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me to think about how Jesus, if you remember this, he actually never wrote a book. In fact, Jesus never wrote anything down. In fact, uh, there are more books written about him, though, than any other subject. All because of the resurrection. Jesus never composed a song. Yet we sung three of them about him this morning. If you think about it, so many of the things we do are about Jesus, and it has to do with the fact that he, he delineated himself from all other founders of religion because of the resurrection. Amen. In fact, if you study your Bible, you'll find that Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was actually born. And yet you find followers of Jesus in every nook and cranny in the entire earth. Why? Because of the resurrection. Amen. See, there are some things in your life the devil wants you to think are dead. And he wants you to think they're so dead because he realizes that if they get resurrected, they won't just stay with you. There are, there are destinies and promises in your life that if you allow them to live, other people will be affected. 
In fact, I wager, if I was a gambling man, I bet you this morning that there are some people who are connected to you who are one step away from their breakthrough and they're just waiting on you to show them Jesus. They're just waiting on you to show them that even through trials and tribulations, you won't give up. Somebody ought to shout, I'm a winner. Why? Because when you shout, I'm a winner, something on the insides of you changes. That's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. They were sad about his resurrection. But the reason that he wasn't sad about the resurrection is because he knew that if he died and he got up again, he would set all mankind free. And so this morning, I just want to give you these six things. There are six wonderful benefits that the resurrection produces in our life. Number one, it sets us free and gives us forgiveness of our sins. It sets us free. You know, there's nothing like being in bondage to something. The Bible says it like this. It says that whoever you are in bondage to, you, in essence, it becomes your master. And how many of you know that if it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would still be in bondage to sin? Now, see, there are a lot of churches who still teach and still believe that people are in bondage to sin. We don't believe that you are in bondage to sin. You can be free from sin at any moment you choose. Amen? Amen. Amen? Somebody says, well, you know, well, I'm in bondage to cursing. But how many of you know there are certain times you don't curse? Oh, come on now. Come on now. Come on now. You might be mad at your boss. I mean, you ticked off, but somehow those curse words don't come out your mouth because you're not in bondage. The reality of of it is in the life of a believer, if we sin, we do it willfully. See, no, that's too deep for Sunday morning. No, 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 no. If you sin, you do it willfully because God has made a way of escape for you. The Bible says that where every sin and temptation lies, God has already made a way of. So, so sometimes the escaping, I just got to keep my mouth closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes the escape is I, I, I just got to be smart enough that, to know that in this situation, I just need to pray. So, so it's not like sin has bondage over us. We have been set Free because of the resurrection. In fact, the Bible, I want you to look at this in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, we find where there's an account of Abraham, and it's talking about Abraham's faith. But I want you to see something because at the end of this scripture, it lets us know that not only does the resurrection set us free, we have to have faith in the resurrection. Amen. It's not enough just to know Jesus got up. You got to know the reason he got up. So Romans chapter four. I believe it starts at verse number 19. Let me get there. Romans four, verse number 19. It says, and being not weak in faith. How many know you can't be weak in your faith? It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It says, but Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. How many know when God makes you a promise, you got to believe it? Amen. If God tells you he's going to restore your marriage, you got to believe it. 
If God tells you he's going to heal you from cancer, you got to believe it. If God tells you he's going to get you the next job, you got to believe it. Amen. If God tells you that he's going to get your kids out of sin and back into the house of the Lord, you have to believe. It says he staggered not the promises of God through unbelief, but he was strong in his faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. So how many of you know that if God has made you a promise, he can perform it? Amen. See, see, many times, here's what happens. God makes us a promise and then automatically we won't admit it, but we assume God really can't do it. So we try to start helping him out. Yeah. Anybody been a God helper? Yeah. I've been a God helper. I've been a guy here before. He says, Abel, I'm going to do this for you. And the moment he says it, I put all my energy to doing it. But how many know that if God says he's going to do it, you got to pause and get instruction for how he wants you to behave. And so he says, it says that God was able to perform in verse 22. It says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Talk about Abraham. It says, now it was not written for his sake alone. So this passage is not just written for Abraham's sake alone. It says that it was imputed to him. It says, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we do what? Believe on him that did what? Raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered. Why? For our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, notice what he says. He says, literally, Jesus died and went to the cross. He was crucified. He was in a grave for three days. He got up with all power in his hand. He died on the cross for our offenses. But why did he get up? The Bible says for our justification. Amen. Any justified people in here this morning? See, see, understand something here. When we read about Abraham, Abraham wasn't righteous. Because he didn't have the spirit of God in him. The Bible says that his faith made it be imputed to him. In other words, it was accounted to him for righteousness. But you and I are not accounted righteous. We are righteous. It says we are righteous because what Abraham didn't have was what we now have, which is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so, so I ain't trying to be right. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I, ain't, I, I ain't trying to be right. I am right. See, see, there's a difference in your posture between when you try not to lose and you trying to win. You ever, you ever seen a team be ahead in a ball game? They got three minutes left and they just try not to lose. Don't they play different than a team who got three minutes left and they just go ahead and put their foot on your throat and blow you out by 20? It's the difference. I ain't trying to live saved. I am saved. I ain't trying to be healed. I am healed. I ain't trying not to be broke. I ain't broke. Because my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. So one of the benefits of the resurrection is that we are forgiven of our sins. Number two, we get power to overcome fear. We have the power to overcome fear. You look in the Bible and over 365 different times it uses a reference that says fear not, don't fear, be not afraid. Why? Because God understands that if you allow fear into your heart, it will cripple your ability to believe. It will cripple your ability to believe. So Jesus went to the cross 
And he took on the ultimate fear factor, death. And he died on the cross and he got up again to let us know that if we don't have to fear death, we certainly don't have to fear lack. If we don't have to fear death, we certainly don't have to fear sickness. If we don't have to fear death, we certainly don't have to fear depression. Why? Because Jesus is, the, uh, Jesus is our high priest. He is our profession. And when you and I get to the realization to know that we don't have a reason to be afraid because God is more for us than anything could ever be against us, we have no reason to be afraid. So we can face every situation in our lives boldly. In fact, the Bible says it like this. It says, greater is he that is in than he that is in other words, if it ain't from God, it can't prevail against me. Amen. It's why we make the confession. No weapon shall, and every word that rises up against me shall be condemned. Why? Because I serve the greater one. Amen? So number one, we know that he sets us free and we have forgiveness of our sins. Number two, he gives us power to overcome fear. Number three, because of the resurrection, we get to house the Spirit of God on the inside of us. See, this is one of those things that when you say it, it really freaks people out. But you've you got to be able to understand this from what, from what God says. You are a walking God. Oh, I didn't say you were God. Let me help you. I have a son. My son is a Strickland. He's not Edwin Strickland. But we share DNA. I ain't God, but we share DNA. Because I was born without his DNA, but when I got born again, I got a blood transfusion in the spiritual realm, and now God and I are related. So just like he is a Strickland walking around, I am a God walking around. I am not God. I am like God, though. I have characteristics like God. In other words, God is love. Then when people look at me, they ought to see not anger, not resentment, not fear, because the Bible says those things are of your father, the devil. So we can tell who you're related to by how you behave. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, I tell all myself, I am a son of God. Every now and then I be acting like I'm related to the devil. I have to watch myself. Can I get a witness? Mm-hmm. I see you too. I see you too. But, but, here's, but, but, when I, but here's the great thing. When I act like somebody I'm not, I got my daddy reminding me of who I am. When my kids leave my house and they go to the mall like they did yesterday, yes, ma'am. I said, you remember when you go to that mall, remember who you represent. See, I grew up with my mom and my grandmother. We got them speeches when you was going. Don't, because the thing was, if you go down the street and you act a fool, it ain't just you acting a fool. It makes us all look like we fools. Because you go down there and act like you ain't got no home training. God ought not have his kids out acting like they ain't got home training. So understand, see, when, when, we, when we're talking about this, this point about having God's spirit inside of us, what it means is, is that I don't have God with me just when I'm in church. Amen. I have God with me when I'm on the job. Amen. 
I have God with me when I'm at the rec center. I have God with me when I'm at the family reunion. You sure better have God with you at the family reunion. You need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But I take him with me everywhere I go. So there is no situation that, that can sneak up on me and catch me off guard if I realize that God's on the inside of me. So let's take a look at this real quick. Just, just one scripture. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Say it's a privilege for me to house the spirit of the living God. Amen. It's a privilege. That, that's the reason, you know, people, people say things like, you know, you make a man, they be like, you know what, I'm going to put down my religion. Well, see, religion don't live in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And when the Spirit of God is on the inside of you, to put it down would be putting yourself down. That's why we don't live by religion. We live, well, the Bible says that man has lived by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It says that's how we live because God communicates to himself through us. What happens is God takes his spirit because of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit gets to be on, you know, on the inside of every one of us. And then what happens is when God wants to talk to us, he don't really talk to us. He talks to himself inside you. That's really what happens. You are a carnal being. And the Bible says that the carnal and the spiritual don't communicate with one another. In fact, it says they're enemies of one another. And so whenever you are hearing God, it's because God is talking to himself. You just have the privilege of housing him. And you have the privilege of housing him because of the resurrection. Now, if you were to think about the most influential person in your life, whoever that would be, and they called you and they wanted to come and spend the night at your house just one night, what would you do differently when they were coming other than you would do any other night? You clean up? Yeah. <laughs> you clean up? If, if whoever you find famous was coming to your house, you'd be like, look, y'all got to get them toys up. You got to dust. You got to clean. You got to straighten up. Now, now, think about those. But why do we do that? Because we want to represent who we really are. We want to represent our best. Well, when you realize that God lives inside of you, then you go out in the world, you behave different because you want to represent your best. I'm telling you, I, I, the easiest people to convince to get saved is people who have never been to church. I'm telling you, you find a group of people that have never been to church, you begin to preach them about Jesus, they're like, yeah, I accept Jesus. Now you get people who grew up in the Bible Belt, they've been to vacation Bible school, like the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church, the Catholic church. They've been to so many Bibles that they've been, they've been so mistreated by people, and you mention Jesus, and they run the other way. Yeah. Take your neighbor, say, Nate. Hey. Say, you, you have a responsibility, have a responsibility to, represent to represent Jesus, Jesus. In, the right in the right manner. Amen. Amen. He died for you. He died for you. Now, you are an ambassador of Christ. And so as an ambassador of Christ, you don't get to represent yourself. You don't get to be the ambassador of the United States to France. And then go over there and tell friends, well, we ain't your ally no more. No, you can't speak on behalf of you. 
You speak on behalf of who sent you. Amen? So the Bible says in Acts, 1, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're talking about God living inside of us. It says, but you shall receive what? Power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. He says, you're going to receive power. Power and that word power there is the Greek word dudamus. It means it's the same, it's the root word that they use for the word dynamite. Now, how many know if you like dynamite and it explodes, nothing stays the change, nothing stays the same. And so, he, he says, You're going to receive this download of dudamus, you're going to receive this download of power. And when you receive this download, nothing about you is going to ever be the same. So when you understand that you get born again and you get born again as a result of the resurrection, something happens on the inside of you and who you used to be, you're not that person anymore. Amen. You know, I met somebody one time and they said, well, I'm just, I'm just really shy. Nothing wrong with being shy, but here's what I tell you. There's a boldness that comes with the spirit of the Lord. When you read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about these, the spirit that comes with, with, with the anointing. And one of those anointings is a boldness spirit, amen? And how many know it'll just come up on you? It'll just come upon you. Why? Because when you house the spirit of God, whatever needs to be done is already in you to get done. And so you, you say, well, I'm really shy. But the Lord will tell you to go talk to somebody you ain't never seen before. And that spirit of boldness will rise up in you. You'll be like, I don't know why I went over there and talked to them. Because it wasn't you. It was the Lord talking to himself in you. And you just had the privilege of housing him. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I get the chance to house the spirit of the Lord. Number four, number four, the, the fourth benefit of the resurrection is that we can receive God's unconditional love. You know, we had a conversation about unconditional love, and unconditional love, when you begin to think about it, is really amazing, right? I mean, it's all right for me to love Misty if Misty talked about me once or twice. I can get over that, you know. Couple years, we all right. <laughs> you know how people are, they don't get over nothing quick. But, but me and Pastor Sean was having this conversation about, about unconditional love from the perspective of Jesus. And, 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 it was, and, and, and sometimes you, you really have to get in the mind of Christ to really understand how much he loves us. As horrible of a crime as it is to molest a child, you know God still loves a child molester? I, see, the room got cold, quiet. Now, now I'm just going to tell you, the Lord's still working on me. Because if you harm kids, kids and old people, because I was a kid and I'm going to be old someday. But if you harm kids and old people, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to, to see you like human. But how many know it ain't hard for God? See, see, people like, oh, now, oh, my pastor, I don't know about that. Yes, the murderers, the molesters, the people who, who did the most horrific crime, Jesus died for them too. Amen. He did. He died, and if, and if it wasn't for any of us, and it was just them, he'd have died for them. So, no, so, so this ought to help you because I know what you're thinking. Well, I ain't nothing like them. That's good. Watch this. He loves you too. <laughs> He loves you too. So if you can ever wrap your mind around the idea that he loves them, it ought not be hard for you to say, well, he loves me too. But, but, but receiving unconditional love. 
Now watch this. The Bible then tells us that when we receive unconditional love, we are supposed to Now, the power of the resurrection is what allows you to love somebody who has harmed you. You don't get to do that in your own natural strength. Listen, I know a lady, and I won't dare say her name, but I know a lady, and, and, and she gave me, she gave me, I told my wife about this years ago, she gave me this amazing testimony about her life that totally changed what I thought I knew about God's unconditional love. She grew up in the house with a stepfather who molested her from the time she was about five to she was about 14 or 15 years old. She ended up getting saved. She allowed the Lord to heal her heart. She ended up leading that man to Christ and he was in her wedding and gave her away. Yeah, see, I ain't asking you to be there yet. I know, I know. I ain't trying to pitch everything at you at one time. But what I'm saying to you is, is that is the power of God's unconditional love. That the power of God's unconditional love has the ability to take a situation and to work it out in such a way that there is no longer any more pain and scars or remembrance. I'm telling you there's power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number four which is what I said, we get to receive God's unconditional love. Number five, the fifth benefit of the resurrection is that we can be confident that God has a greater purpose for our lives. Amen. How many of you know that if the only purpose for our lives was to live, get rich and die, that we didn't need God for that? No, he died because there's a greatest purpose for us to fulfill in our lives. The Bible says in John uh, 3.16, it says, For God so what? Loved the world that he did what? He gave who? His only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have what? Everlasting life. Now, why would God want you to have everlasting life without there being a purpose to the life? Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor you, have you have purpose. purpose. Now tell your other neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor you, have you have purpose. purpose. I'm telling you guys, you have purpose. Your purpose is more than just your job. Amen. Your purpose, we used to talk to, to our oldest daughter all the time, you know, about, because when she first, and we tell this story all the time, and she don't like it, but it's true. When she first started playing basketball, she was horrible. She just was. She just was. I love you, babe, but you were horrible. She was in like the fifth grade and, or, or whatever it was, third grade, in the third grade. And, and she just couldn't play. And so she didn't play for a couple of years, but then she came back to us and she said to us, she said, the Lord said that if I played basketball, I'd be able to lead people to Christ. Now, you can't really come to two pastors and say that and we don't let you play basketball. <laughs> so her mom and I was like, all right, let's go ahead and let her play. And then lo and behold, she started to get a little better. And we was like, hmm, she might have some purpose to this. So anytime she was playing basketball, we would remind her of why she said she was playing basketball. It wasn't to get a scholarship. That's good. It wasn't to be the best. That's okay. But she said her purpose was that if she played ball, she'd get an opportunity to do something for the kingdom. So yes, you went to school to be an engineer, but that ain't your purpose. Your purpose is something to do with the fact that what happens because the engineering degree opens the door for you. Amen. So see, so, so, so that's the reason that we don't push people in our church. 
when, when people say they're called, we don't say, well, you got to be a preacher. There are people who are called to be in every avenue of life. You know, you know, Chris works in a preschool. You don't think she's ministering every day? Every day she's ministering. Somebody say, well, I work for Walmart. What's my ministry? You have a ministry. You have Walmart help me have low prices. Yeah. <laughs> That's a ministry. That's a ministry, man. That's almost why we have, a, we have a saying. If we ever have to move somewhere, we have to be within five miles of a Walmart. A, 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 a super center. Not just a neighborhood market. A super center. So those of you who work at Walmart, God bless you. Because you minister every day. And so what happens is, is everywhere we go, because we house the Spirit of God, we get the opportunity to minister wherever we go, if we think about it. So I'm not just going to my job to get a paycheck. Kenosha's a teacher. She interacts with high school kids every day. If anybody needs ministry, high school kids need ministry. The example she shows to them, the, the words she says to them, the things she does. Ralph is a principal of an alternative school. You don't think he's ministering? God is strategically putting people in every venue, in every avenue, who understands that they house the Spirit of God on the inside of them. The Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. We need righteous people in business. We need righteous people in law. We need righteous people in the service industries. We need righteous stay-at-home moms and righteous stay-at-home dads. We need righteous coaches. We need righteous everything because the Bible says when those people are in authority, they can hear God speak. Amen? And then so the last one, number six, benefit of the resurrection is that we can be certain that we have a future in heaven. Now, I grew up in a Kojic church, and in the Kojic church, every Sunday was about going to heaven. Amen? Every Sunday. Every Sunday was about going to heaven. Now, listen, you and I are going to get to spend eternity with the Father, but we're not waiting to get to heaven before we start living. Amen? Amen, somebody. We're not waiting to, we're not, we're not living here counting the days down so we can die and go to heaven and live in the sweet by and by. The Bible says that we are supposed to be creating heaven on earth. That means we ought to be having good marriages. We ought to be having good jobs. We ought to be having good communication with our spouse. Everything that is, that, that is in heaven ought to be a representation here on the earth. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Think about how we pray that. We say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy, thy kingdom, thy will, on earth as it already is in heaven. So, so there's no sickness in heaven. So I'm not accepting sickness on earth. They ain't broke in heaven, so I ain't going to be broke in the earth. They not bickering and fighting in heaven, so we're not going to be bickering and fighting in our home. And so what we got to do is we got to get to the place to understand that this resurrection wasn't just about us getting to the sweet by and by. It was about us creating a sweet by and by right here on earth. And when you begin to live like that and you begin to think like that, your life will change. We know from research that it tells us that whatever you put your mind on is what gets magnified in your life. You start putting your mind on the power of the resurrection and the wonderful things Jesus has done for you. And you watch and see how your life changes. The Bible says it like this. It says, though your beginnings be small, your latter end shall greatly increase. And I'm telling you this morning that even though your beginnings may be small, your latter end with Jesus shall greatly increase. Amen.